How does inflation affect supply chain planning? Freight markets are poised for radical change. And some shakeups in the autonomous vehicle technology industry. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. As usual, our DC Velocity Senior Editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, inflation is affecting all of our wallets, and some of those increases we're seeing are due to rising costs for materials, production, transportation. Pretty much the overall increases are in supply chains that bring us the goods and services we use every day. Those rising costs make it difficult for supply chain managers to do their planning. What can be done to control supply chain costs and what can managers do to mitigate the suffering? To find out, I recently spoke with Paul Lord. He is Senior Director for Supply Chain Research at Gartner and he's been studying this issue. Here's our conversation. Thank you, Paul, for joining us today on Logistics Matters. You recently wrote about the high rate of inflation and what supply chain planners should be doing to respond to inflation and the risk of recession. Overall, how has high inflation affected our supply chains? I imagine there's more to it than just increasing our costs, right? Oh, thank you, David. If there's, there's more to it than that, you're right. But certainly the primary uh, result of inflation has been increased cost across a whole range of resources. I think that's probably the most notable aspect about this inflation is it's impacting labor, energy, materials, and logistics services. So it's really across the board. And of course, every business is then affected in different ways depending on their use of these resources. For example, service intensive industries are much more impacted by the high higher cost of labor and, and talent. Uh, manufacturing industries are more impacted on a relative basis uh, by the materials and logistics services. But the other thing that we want to also mention is that not only does inflation impact these prices, but it also has an impact on interest rates and therefore how we would view the cost of our inventory, which is a combination of the the, the cost of the materials themselves, but also the opportunity cost of the money that's being used to fund those inventories. Well, what are some companies doing to actually address high inflation in their supply chains? Well, of course, the number one lever is pricing, right? Uh, I mean, inflation primarily creates a margin squeeze. Uh, and so as we did our research through the middle of this year, Pricing was still the top lever, and surprisingly, uh, as we took our surveys in the middle of the year, about half of companies, you know, indicated that for the most part, they were able to uh, maintain their margins and didn't foresee the need to make dramatic changes in spending or overhead. But the other half of those surveyed did indicate um, either potentially reorganizing to look at their overhead spend, cutting back on some discretionary spending, uh, and and potentially looking at, at their working capital, specifically their inventory. 
Paul, I realize you're not an economist, but where do you think inflation is going? Have some of the measures taken by the Federal Reserve and other economic conditions had any kind of impact on controlling inflation? Well, that's a great question. Of course, the high prices that we're currently experiencing are a result of a lot of supply and demand drivers, right? Most notably, you know, many industries have been dealing with shortages in supply for the last 18 months as a result of very strong demand. Uh, and so it's unclear what monetary policy can do other than try to encourage investment in supply uh, and make sure that, that, that there's the ability for supply to recover and catch up with demand. But my, my overarching comment would be that this is just one more area of uncertainty that supply chain deals with. We're always dealing with uncertainty and demand volume. Now inflation brings in questions around what's the margin going to be. So I think what this has done is just added one more dimension of uncertainty that supply chain planning needs to try to take into account as it does scenario analysis and make recommendations for the rest, the best approach to operating in this volatile environment that now includes both demand uncertainty and some margin uncertainty and potential margin squeeze. Paul, are there particular areas where supply chain planners should put their focus to contain costs and be able to survive this time of high inflation? Certainly, um, good, good question. Uh, of course, the role of supply chain planning is to find the best balance between supply and demand. So, you know, we could think about inflation as just another dimension of the weather that we're trying to navigate as we try to find the, the best balance between supply and demand. So I don't know that supply chain planning can be held accountable for or focus on reducing or controlling cost as much as taking some of these new pricing dynamics into account as they try to uh, find the best balance. So again, the most obvious thing for supply chain planners to be thinking about is these new economic drivers underneath their inventory. Again, as I mentioned, not only have unit costs of inventory gone up, but the opportunity cost of carrying inventory has potentially gone up as a result of higher interest rates. And so this might cause them to rethink, for example, how they balance the drive for operating efficiency with the need to control inventory levels and take into account these new costs. So this could this could lead to potentially smaller production quantities and more frequent chain changeovers, which would seem counterintuitive <laughs> uh, until you start to really confront the fact that inventory potentially costs a lot more than it used to. Sure, that makes sense. In designing our supply chains, how much does creating resiliency within those supply chains help to mitigate some of the ne negative effects of inflation? Well, certainly the last couple of years have taught us a lot about the importance of resiliency, uh, both in the way that we design our network, the way that we construct our supplier portfolios. What we're dealing with right here, though, certainly doesn't negate the need for resiliency, uh, but it also speaks to the need for agility. Given all this uncertainty, 
the need to not only have some agility in the nature of our networks, but agility in the way that we make operating decisions, right? And so this would argue for, again, given the uncertainty that we're going into here uh, in the next couple of quarters, both with regards to margins and demand, the need to have our operating decisions and those associated processes flexible enough and agile enough to recorrect um, as new information about demand and margins comes forward. If we do happen to fall into a typical recession, are the strategies for managing that any different than what they would be for trying to curb the inflationary pressures we feel now? Well, some might claim that we're already in a recession, but once again, we're not here to talk about that so much, uh, you know, depending on how we define recession. But if inflation impacts margins, recession impacts demand volumes potentially, right? And so inflation is now impacting the other dimension of, of input into the supply chain planning process. So obviously with, with the potential for a recession, it certainly means that planning uh, processes should be looking at downside scenarios for demand and thinking through what this could mean in terms of how they're going to plan supply so that they don't get overcommitted to supply that could turn out being unneeded and or expensive relative to where the market might be heading. And so I think in many regards, if we're concerned about recession, we want to remain agile. We want to manage and moderate how we make future commitments around demand. Uh, potentially, again, uh, commit to smaller quantities at any given time so that we can adjust as new information comes forward about, about whichever direction demand is going. That all sounds like good advice. We've been talking to Paul Lord, the Senior Director of Research at the consultancy firm Gartner. Thank you for being with us today, Paul. Thank you, David. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you reported this week on some news affecting autonomous vehicle technologies. What can you tell us? I did. Uh, we saw some significant change in the past week among companies that are developing autonomous cars and trucks. First, we learned it's been pretty widely reported that Ford and Volkswagen are shutting down Argo AI. That's a Pittsburgh-based startup that they had jointly founded and funded pretty heavily to create fully autonomous cars for the commercial market. Uh, there was also news about two lawsuits actually that involved other companies also in the self-driving area. Uh, one was Tesla. Uh, they're accused of overhyping or overselling what they call their autopilot system in their passenger vehicles. And uh, Too Simple is an uh, autonomous technology company that provides that for trucks. Um, they're accused of allegedly transferring technology to a Chinese company. Too Simple promptly released its CEO, said they're looking for a new one. Uh, but they're going to continue with their business, however. Um, for example, they have reservations to provide self-driving tech for trucks uh, from some of the big uh, freight transportation names like Penske and Schneider and U.S. Express. Uh, but at the same time, um, there are you know, some other providers that are continuing to make progress uh, in, in the area. Uh, the latest example... Uh, also this week, actually, is that uh, San Francisco-based Embark trucks, they said that they'd expanded their coverage map uh, for transfer points uh, for their trucks with autonomous technology. 
so how those transfer points work is that uh, the company's been running tests uh, in which pilot vehicles, they haul loads over highway routes and then hand them off to human drivers for the last mile. Uh, so the trucks just kind of do the simple part uh, along the straight straight uh, haul on the highway, as it were. Uh, and there are actually some other autonomous vehicle tech providers that are following similar sorts of patterns. Um, a lot of names like Torque Robotics, uh, Volvo has a, an arm that's doing it, Kodiak, uh, Waymo, and Gatic. Uh, so a, a lot of folks are, uh, are, are trying it out uh, in that sort of fashion. Yeah, so we're hearing a lot of news from that one specific part of the industry, but do we know what it means for the future of self-driving trucks? Well, it's awfully hard to tell the future, uh, but I did try to figure that out. I talked to a transportation industry consultant, uh, Tony Wada. He's a principal with JBF Consulting. Uh, they're out of Connecticut. It's a logistics consulting and systems integration firm. And Wada gave two reasons why uh, we might have seen all this turbulence um, in, in the self-driving arena right now. Uh, first was something that won't be surprising to our listeners who've been following the markets, and that's the larger trend of a current economic downturn and fears of recession uh, that's led to a tightening, uh, as well as the stock market and interest rates, of private equity and venture capital dollars. So the investors who've been funding some of these autonomous vehicle startups are maybe reevaluating their positions there. They're looking as a gauge or a yardstick. Uh, there's something called the uh, six levels of autonomous driving. Um, that, that's sort of an industry uh, standard term there. Uh, it spans from level zero, which is the basic cars that don't have any help in them, uh, all the way through level five, which is fully automatic with no person in the car. So well, Weta said uh, that his firm believes that level four is attainable, uh, it's still several years away from becoming mainstream. Uh, so according to Weta, he said, for that reason, we're seeing automakers starting to give less focus actually on level four and five, the very top ones, and focusing on automation that can drive safety sort of in an everyday application. And that can drive revenue, of course. So level two and level three are attainable in the near future, he said. And in some cases, they're already implemented. Uh, you have lane assist or auto braking. Uh, so it's sort of an 80-20 rule um, that they've the auto, autonomous vehicle folks have gotten pretty far down the road, actually, to develop uh, self-driving tech, if you'll excuse the pun. But the last steps are the hardest ones, uh, and they could take significantly more time and money to reach that that last, you know, level four and five. So basically, he was saying that investors maybe want to slow down and see some revenue for their investments. Looking a little further out, uh, he said that you know the more fundamental problems with autonomous cars and trucks are safety concerns and public perception. So again, while he thinks that we'll continue to see automakers incorporate the level two and level three stuff into everyday systems, uh, a lot of the time it's already, already there if you have a late model car, moving into level four will take a much larger effort. Uh, and to get there, Weta said that lawmakers and government agencies are gonna have to work closely with the technology companies. Uh, to gain public confidence and trust. Uh, it's gonna happen in phases over uh, time. Uh, one sort of concept, he said, you know, folks might cordon off like a single lane of the highway with barriers. So autonomous trucks could drive down those paths, uh, you know, parallel to the rest of the traveling public. Um, kind of like there are express lanes uh, in, in heavily congested cities somewhere. Uh, but that's just one possible idea that he was uh, suggesting, but uh, we'll have to see what steps develop. But uh, so that, that's going to be sort of the long term approach to it. Yeah, but that is very interesting and it will be interesting to watch how 
uh, it progresses in the future. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. And Victoria, you wrote this week on new research revealing how transportation and freight markets are poised for radical change. Can you share some details of what you found? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah. So anyone who has been paying attention knows that supply chains have been through the ringer these past two years. And as a result, there are a lot of changes ahead, especially for freight transportation markets. A study out this week from consulting firm Deloitte digs into those changes, identifying what the researchers call five forces that are driving the future of freight. The study is titled The Future of Freight, Transforming the Movement of Goods, and Deloitte surveyed more than 300 executives at transportation and manufacturing companies for the report. Those companies are based in the United States and Europe, and they have annual revenues ranging from $500 million to $50 billion. So we're talking about some pretty big companies here. In a nutshell, uh, the report uh, determines that all of the delays, disruptions, and bottlenecks that resulted from pandemic-related challenges and changes in consumer buying behavior are causing companies to really make some big changes in the way they move goods around the world. On top of that, emerging technologies and a shifting competitive landscape are, are changing the way leaders in transportation are managing their businesses. So a lot of change happening. Probably the biggest trend identified in the report, or the one that'll garner the most headlines, is onshoring and nearshoring. And this speaks to companies' efforts to shorten their supply chains, which many say is a direct result of the supply chain problems of these past few years, as manufacturers especially you know, look to locate their operations closer to where their products are consumed. The hope is that that strategy will mitigate risk and reduce some of the inflationary pressures that companies face. Again, this is just one of the five trends or forces mentioned, but it's a big one. And the researchers said that if it happens at even half the rate that the survey respondents indicate, it will represent a, quote, radical change in supply chains. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, what are the other four forces that they've mentioned? Yeah, the others center on data, technology, and competition, really. First, uh, more companies in the transportation and freight industry are focused on closing the gap in data management, and that really means that they're focused on digital strategies and using data to improve things like visibility into assets and goods, as well as to improve customer relationship management. Second, as the industry changes, the door is opening to new competitors. Essentially, the researchers say that legacy logistic companies may find themselves competing against entities such as cloud services providers, mega retailers, vehicle manufacturers, and technology startups, all of which are pursuing the transportation industry as a potential profit stream. Third, the study found that business leaders in transportation are focused on reshuffling their structure and operations. Many are outsourcing non-core capabilities, for example. Others are seeking acquisitions to expand um, their core capabilities. We report on this quite often. And finally, the researchers found that the trend toward next generation vehicles may actually be a source of new competition in freight markets. 60% of the survey respondents said they believe it's inevitable that truck manufacturers will seek to become fleet managers as technology advances and lines of supply are kind of redrawn. So we're looking at potentially a lot of change coming down the road for transportation and logistics businesses. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out. Yeah, I think change is something that we've now come to expect pretty much the new normal. Thanks. Very Victoria. true. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for direct links on the topics that we discussed today. 
And again, our thanks to Paul Lord of Gartner for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. New episodes in that series are released each Tuesday and focus on attracting and retaining labor. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will mark Veterans Day by looking at how veterans are welcomed into the supply chain industry. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.